Thank you for tuning into the City Church California podcast. We exist for anyone to believe in God, to become who God created them to be, and to build the church and our city. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can be updated anytime we add new content. Now let's check out the latest message from our Sunday gathering. I get to begin the series of the book of Revelation. This is like my brainchild I presented to the team, and they're like, all right, you can kick it off. I'm like, praise the Lord, all right? That's what I want you to know. The inspiration of this is I have figured out the equation of who the Antichrist is, and that is why we're studying. I'm just kidding, everyone. Relax. Some of you were like, oh, my God, you know. I will tell you, the mark of the beast is... I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. No, but we are going to dive into the book of Revelation. We're going to go through over the next five weeks, the, the fi- five of the seven churches. So I really want to encourage you, don't miss church the next five weeks because it will build upon itself. And we're titling this series, Hearing God, Hearing God. So we're going to go to Revelation chapter two, and we're going to start in verse one. In Revelation two, verse one, it's going to come up on the screen. It says this, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false. Verse three. I know you are enduring patiently, bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Verse four, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent, do the works you did first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Everyone say, woof. That's one of those ones you read in the Bible, you're like, woof. All right, here we go, verse six. It says, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This is the key verse of the entire series. Are you ready? Verse seven, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And the book of Revelation has two groups of people when we think about it, all right? Uh, I grew up a pastor's kid, okay, and I watched Left Behind. It freaked me out, okay? Like the, you know, the, the, the Kirk Cameron one, right? Like I didn't want to fly for years because I thought everyone would be raptured and I'd be left on the plane. Like, what the heck, you know? Because I knew I wasn't going to make it. I, like, I was sure. I was like, I'm not getting raptured. There's no way. Like, and so, I, you know, there, there's kind of two, two, two approaches to the book of Revelation. One is the, the overemphasis of the symbolic nature of the book, and it's we try to then predict the who, what, when, why, and how the end times is going to happen, don't we? But then what we are subject to is the geopolitical climate and the news headlines of what's going on. Well, this must be the Antichrist. This must be the end times. And so now our interpretation of a book that was written 2,000 years ago is completely connected to the context of our present day and age, which is not proper biblical interpretation. So we spend all of our time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is, who the mark of the beast is, and, and who we are not going to talk to, right? And we hunker down until we get raptured. And that is kind of one focus of it, is this overemphasis of the symbolic nature of the book. The other, the other side is, uh, I don't want to touch it. I'm not going to read it, all right? Your New Testament canon ends in 3 John. That's it. It's like... <laughs> Jude and Revelation, no chance, homie. You know, 
and, and this is the thought with that. It's like, I, I know Christ is going to return. Why do I need to know when and how and why? I'll just, you know, when he comes, he comes. Whatever. Figure it out. No, it's in the Bible for a reason, isn't it? And so what we have to do is we have to allow the Bible to determine and to define itself. Oftentimes, we spend a lot of time trying to define what the Bible is saying instead of allowing the Bible to interpret itself. The Bible is a self-revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of God to the world, and so we should allow God to define himself. And in his books, in the individual books, underneath the entirety of the book, like the book of Revelation, if we're going to read it, we should read it in the way that it was intended to be read. So Revelation 1 verse 1, that's going to go right there. This is going to lay out the context of the entire book as we dive into it. Are you ready? This says this. I want you to read just the first part with me. One, two, three. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of the end times? Oh, no. The revelation of the Antichrist. Of the mark of the beast. Of Armageddon. No. The revelation of who? Jesus Christ. This is a book that is written to reveal the multidimensional elements of our God. It's God is, Jesus is not one dimensional. He's not two dimensional. He's not three dimensional. He's not even seven dimensional. He's eternally dimensional, which means we will never get to the end of knowing Jesus. So the book of Revelation is giving us pictures of who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and who Jesus will, and who Jesus will be. And it's giving us pictures and symbols, and it's giving us a deepened understanding of who our God is so that when we face persecution, when we face pain, when we face opposition, we have a God who is revealed himself in a specific way so we can overcome and do what God has called us to do as the church. So the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And when we fall into these two camps, what we miss is the deep, rich, theological themes and meaning and doctrine that is in the book of Revelation. The, the, the doctrine of his kingdom, the doctrine of a priesthood, the doctrine of worship. The book of Revelation has more worship songs than any other book in the New Testament. We see worship in heaven. We see worship on earth. We see worship and we realize that now that this is a book of worship and that as Christ reveals himself in unique ways, it gives us another place and portion to worship him like. That I don't just worship Jesus for who I knew him when I first got saved, but I worship him for every time he reveals something new about himself. Wow, God, you are that. You are holy, holy, holy. You are a God that is way bigger than what I can. Uh, it, we, it, it is a book of worship. The worship th this message is not just to the church of the past or the church of the future. Because really, depending on what camp you land in, it's either it was just for them back in 2,000 years ago, or it's just going to be for whoever's left standing and when Christ returns. It's for all people at all times. It was for the church, the past, the present, and the future. God is speaking something to us now, but the question in the book of Revelation is this, not is God speaking or not, is are we listening? Are we hearing what God is saying? Because we can look at our climate and our world and we can say, man, this is crazy. What do we do? Well, I'm glad you asked because God has spoken to us. This is what I want you to do. This is who I want you to be. This is the people I want you to be. This is the church I want you to be. And when things get difficult and things get perilous and things, there's persecution, there's pain, there's hurt, guess what? This is who I want you to be. 
It was written with deeply symbolic and it's layered and it's giving us the spiritual eyes to see what God is speaking to us right now. And what is clear about the book of Revelation is this. There is a war happening. It's a cosmic war. It's a spiritual war. So when we see that the, 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 the first seven churches, the letter of the seven churches, some people, when we read the book of Revelation, we like to read the seven letters and then we separate the rest and we think the vision is something separate. But the seven letters are laying the foundation for what you're about to see. And what you see later on is perspective of heaven, perspective of earth, perspective of hell, and you're seeing all these perspectives of the same battle that is happening. And it is a battle for our worship. It is a fight for our worship. And really that is what it comes down to. Will we worship Christ? the risen savior or we worship the beast and the systems of this world and and fame and money and the things of this world or will we worship God? That is what the enemy is fighting for. He's fighting, will we worship, will we bow our knee to him or will we bow our knee to Jesus? And what we see is, we see seven contexts in which they are real people that lived and were worshiping God just like you and me in crazy times and in persecution and pain. And we're seeing their actual context of how this battle is actualized. We can get caught up in the symbols or we can look at real people and say, this is what this battle will look like. And in fact, the seven churches are the foundation for us to understand everything else. Because what we're seeing is the symbols that we see in the rest of the vision are happening in the seven churches. And you're going to see themes repeat themselves and repeat themselves. For the next five weeks, we're going to go over the five churches that receive correction. We're going to leave out the two who didn't, okay? And you want to know why they didn't get a correction? And they were poor and they were persecuted. It's like, oh, yay. <laughs> Can't wait, right? So we're going to talk about the ones that... that, 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 that received a correction. And why is that? Because we want to be the church that can overcome. We want to be a church that is not overcome by the world, but overcomes the world. Because really in Revelation, there's really only two people, those who are overcome and those who overcome. Either we will be overcome by the world or we will overcome the world. And who will we be? So we're going to listen to what the Spirit is saying. So like in Revelation chapter 12 with the the bride in the wilderness who's pregnant with the man child and it says she's surrounded by water that when the beast tries to swallow up, she cannot. Why? Because she's protected. We as the church, we are spiritually protected, but, but physically there may be pain, there may be persecution, there may be suffering, but guess what? The enemy cannot take your worship. Only can, we can only give it to him. And so we are protected, we are guarded, but there are things that will happen in this season and in this time that the enemy is going to try to get you to bow to him. And we are saying, no, we will not bow. So how can we be a church that overcomes? How do we become a church that overcomes? Well, we would say this, the church that hears God is a church that overcomes. A church that hears God. To hear in John's writing is in every time he uses that word here in the Greek and the word that he uses, it's never like, oh, I heard you, right? The, the implication is that you're obeying what was told to you. That's the implication, right? We think that there's kind of two separate things that we can hear what God says and not obey it. But that's not what John is saying. To hear God is to obey God, right? How many of you have kids in the room, right? I have a young five-year-old and right, I'm telling him stuff. And I'm like, Rio, look me in the eyes. He's like, in my eyes, right? Because I had told him to do something and he didn't do it. And then I have to say this, hey, do you hear me? 
right? You're not looking at me. You're not doing what I'm asking you to do. Do you hear me? Why am I asking if he hears me? It's not because I know he didn't actually hear me. It's because he's not doing what I asked him to do. So when it's saying those who have a spirit, uh, an ear to hear, what he's saying is those who are ready to obey what is being said. It's not just to listen, but it's to obey. So if we want to be a church that overcomes, we have to be the one that obeys. And then it means to over, you know, to, to conquer or to overcome means to be a faithful, to be faithful to Christ. That's what it means to be faithful to Christ, to be a faithful witness. And John really flipped the meaning of this word overcome because for them, overcome meant, you know, taking it by force, attacking it, taking what's yours. This is ours. We're overcoming the enemy. So, but for John, when he's speaking of overcoming, it's not about taking life. It's about us being willing to lay down our life. When we overcome, it's when we were willing to lay down our life in the face of persecution when we were laid on our life in the face of demonic philosophies, when we lay down our life in the face of, of pain and hurt. See, sometimes we kind of, it, we, we, we get caught up in things, but we realize it's Christianity gets pretty simple when it's not my will, but your will be done. I lay down my life. Why? Because Christ did that first. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to lay down his life for a ransom for many. He came to lay down his life. So if we are to be faithful to Christ, we are called to do the same thing. So those who have an ear to hear, those who are ready to obey, those who are ready to hear what God is saying and obey it, guess what? We can be those who overcome in the face of any persecution, any pain, even unto death. There's nothing that can take that away if we are willing to say, okay, God, I'm going to be a faithful witness. So this is what the book of Revelation is about, is how do we become a faithful witness in the face of persecution, in the face of pain, in the face of turmoil, in the face of this cosmic battle that's happening. And we're going to get some insight from these amazing believers 2,000 years ago because we're going to see how did the Apostle John address them to be overcomers. And that's how we're going to learn to be overcomers. It's to be obedient to Christ. So we're going to look at the first church, which is the church in Ephesus. So we're going to go back to Revelation 2, verse 1, and we're going to start there. And it says, To the angel in the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the golden lampstands, I know your works, you toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, and you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found, yourself to, and you found them to be false." I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Then it jumps down and says this, and yes, this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This is going to be the pattern that we're going to see, is, is the Apostle John kind of came up with the, the compliment sandwich, right? How many of you ever received a compliment sandwich? You know it's coming, too. Hey, buddy. You're so awesome. You're amazing. You're so good looking. Oh my God. Hey, but uh, I need you to uh, I need you to show up on time. But remember, you're awesome and good looking. It's like, right? Just tell me what I need to do, right? But he gives them the compliment sandwich, and this is the pattern that you're going to see with every church. He doesn't just come in and blast them and say you're good for nothing. No, he he first he spends time to tell them, hey, this is this what you're doing here is really really good. Keep doing it. Don't quit doing this. 
He's going to give them some correction in a little bit, but, but what, who was the church in Ephesus? Now, Ephesus was a, an epicenter of, of, of commerce in, in the Roman Empire. In Asia Minor, Ephesus was it. It was the capital. It was where it was, all the money was flowing through. It was wealthy. It, it, was, it was happening. Come on. It was amazing. They, they believe there's about 250,000 people that lived in ancient Ephesus. It was, it was an amazing place. It was also the spiritual epicenter of that area, of that region, and, and, and they believed that there was a seventh wonder of the world. One of the seven wonders of the world was in Ephesus, and it was the temple to the goddess Diana. It was this, this spiritual place. Come on, it was very spiritual. They, and, oh, man, we're just spiritual. That was Ephesus. They were spiritual people. But something crazy happened in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. When Paul shows up, starts preaching the gospel. So many people got saved in Ephesus at one time that the economy shut down because the economy was so built on selling idols to the goddess Diana. So a riot breaks out and they're like, yo, we got to get these Christians out of here because this church was a force to be reckoned with. So in a city of 250,000 people, there was 20,000 people to believe to be be in the church in Ephesus. 20,000 people. That's crazy. They would meet in the, 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 the amphitheater in the middle of the city. This was a force to be reckoned with. And they knew their word. They were a hardworking church. They weren't lazy. You hear about what he says? He says, you, you, you keep doing it. You're fighting against evil philosophies. You're fighting against heresy. You're fighting against false leadership. You're testing it. That means they had to know their Bible, didn't it? These people knew their word. They had the systems. They had the programs. They were doing it. They were doing the work of the ministry. They were making sure that they were fighting against the bad things that were coming from within and the things that were coming from without. And they were equipping people for the work of the ministry. They were doing it in Ephesus, man. They, were, they had it down. They had the program down. They had money. They weren't worried about money. They weren't worried about finances. They had finances. They had money. They had systems. They had programs. They were, they, they, they were working hard. They weren't lazy. They weren't a lazy church. We'll get to those later on. And a couple of them are a little lazy, you know. But they were a hardworking people. They loved the Lord. They loved what God was doing. And it says that he, they fought against that which God hated, which was the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now these people, the, the Nicolaitans were this, they, 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 I'll use a big theological word just for a second because we're doing the book of Revelation, right? Uh, they, they taught this thing called antinomialism, or, or, or essentially this, is that because when you're saved, the work of God is finished and you no longer need to obey any of the laws. It's, it's no, I don't need to obey the law. I'm, I'm saved. It's finished. I live as I want. Do what I want. Okay. That's what they taught. I do what I want, when I want, how I want it. And guess what? I'm still going to heaven. So I can have my cake and eat it too, right? I can have God deal with my, my shame, but yet I'm still going to heaven. I can live for me. And this was what they were teaching. And they fought against this. And God loved that they fought against it. God was happy. Why? Because that's not true. It's, it's setting people up to fail. It's setting people up to have a, a, a powerless relationship with God. And he says, that is a heresy. This is what they were fighting against. But did you see the picture of Jesus in verse one? See, this is gonna be the key every single time we read more about one of the churches is what is the revelation of Jesus that is specific 
to the church in Ephesus. And it says this, that he's walking amongst the lampstands. The number seven in the book of Revelation, really throughout scripture, is completion or perfection. So it's really speaking of the, the church of all times, of everywhere. They're, they're pictured as lampstands. Why? It's seven of them, not just seven literal physical churches, but the church of all time, forever, past, present, and future. And he's walking among the lampstands. It says he's got the stars in his right hand, seven stars. It's a, the perfect. And what is it saying? It's saying, one, the fact that he's walking amongst them is that he actually is involved in what we do. He cares about how the church lives. He cares about the things that we do. He cares about our motive. He is walking amongst us. Man, doesn't that change how we view church? That right now, Christ is walking amongst us. He cares about City Church California in Ventura, California in 2023. He is walking amongst us. And he cares about how we love each other. He cares about how we serve one another. He cares about the things that we're fighting for. He cares about the doctrines that we're preaching. Jesus is amongst us. And it says he's got the stars in his right hand, which is symbolic of he maintains our spiritual life. We don't. Christ maintains this thing. This is Christ's church. This isn't our church. We're with him. We're walking with him. We are trying to become more like him. And he's walking amongst the churches. And this is what Ephesus had forgotten. Why? Because Jesus had to reveal it to them. And it leads us to what they were corrected for. They did the programs. They did the systems. They worked hard. Come on, it's good to be someone who works hard. But you know what the church in Ephesus' problem was? It wasn't that they didn't work hard. It's not that they didn't know their Bible. It's not that they didn't preach the gospel. It's that they didn't have the thing that they first loved. Let's go to that verse. It says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But in order for the church to remain faithful for the church in Ephesus, it wasn't that they needed to do more programs. They were doing that. It's that they needed to return to their first love. So if they wanted to be those who overcame the world, they had to return to their first love. Now, this is the debate, right? What is their first love? Man, people in like academia love to debate. <laughs> what was their first love? Was it Jesus? Was it their love for God? Was it their love for people? Was it their love for something? What was it? Well, I would argue most, com most commentaries would say that it was their love for people. Because I think they loved God. Why do I think they loved God? Because they were doing his work. But how many of us know we can love God but not be connected to God? Uh-oh. I love my wife. She's amazing. She's beautiful. She's, she, she, she's everything to me. I love her. But how many of you know, even in a marriage, when you love someone dearly, that you cannot be connected intimately? Maybe it's life, distractions, things, but you can grow further and further apart. It's not that you love them less. It's that there's not this connection to intimacy. See, Jesus is not moving away from us, but oftentimes we move away from him. And we can do the work of the ministry we can come to church, we can check off the box, we can read our Bible, we can do all these things, yet we can lose our connection to Jesus. And why am I saying this? Because if we lose our connection to Jesus, we will lose our heart for people. You will lose your heart for people. And it's not just the lost. You'll lose your heart for the people in the church. 
man, if I didn't have to go to church, I would be such a good Christian. <laughs> That's what people say all the time, right? If I didn't have to show up and deal with them, oh, I'm a, I would serve Jesus so good. Like we love to look at people in the Bible and never think that the people who do bad are us. <laughs> right? Eve, idiot. Freaking kidding me? I would never do that. <laughs> Saul, so insecure. So, so insecure. I would never do that, right? Peter, cussing people out. <laughs> like, scoff at him, right? Like, I would never do that. So, so God, I just thank you for making me so holy. So we like, we like read about the church in Ephesus, right? Like, I would never lose my first love. They missed it, huh, God? I wish I was there to tell them, right? Like, what are you talking about, man? Like, that's how we think. But in all reality, how many of us have done this? I grew up in church, man. It is so easy to show up and do the thing and not be connected to Jesus at all. And you know you're not connected to Jesus when you do not like people. Uh-oh. All right, we'll get there. We'll get there. I'm not done yet. In, their face, in the face of opposition, did they love? When we lose intimacy with Jesus, we will lose our love for people. And this is, what, this is how you know you're losing your love for people, whether in the church or outside the church. You start labeling them as their sin instead of a person. You start labeling them as their problem. You know these people. Mm, my God. If they would know what I know. Uh-oh. See, we lose our love for people. We start labeling them as their problem instead of seeing them as a person that Christ died for. See, we forget that we, while yet we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Christ didn't just die for everyone who would believe, he died that the whole world would believe, which means this, he died for the world, giving them an opportunity to be saved. And it is our job as the church to show that love so radically and so crazy that they want to be drawn into this relationship with Jesus. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So how can I love God with everything and yet not love people? That's like someone coming up to me, man, I love you, but I do not like your wife. And you know what I'm going to tell you? You don't love me. Because that's my girl. Right? We go up to Jesus, oh, Jesus, I love you, but I, I hate the church. I hate church. Well, that's his bride. Jesus, I love you, but honestly, if I have to talk to another, another Republican, I'm... <laughs> Jesus, I love you, but those Democrats, oh man, right? We label people. And we justify not engaging with them and not loving on them. Why? Because we have put ourselves on a pedestal of working hard and not loving them the way Jesus did. See, this is the problem. We have two camps of people. Sometimes those who want to just love everyone are pretty lazy, aren't they? So you want to love everyone. All right, cool. Can you like put together a plan on how to do that? No, I'm not going to do that. Right? Or, or, or it's like, no, we have to do the program. We have to, they have to show up to church. It's like, 
All right, man. It's like, no, but they didn't get it right. It's like, okay, like they got to follow the rule. We got it, right? There's a, there's a tension that needs to be held. That's why Jesus reveals himself the way he does to the church in Ephesus. Because they had lost the tension of what actually maintains their spiritual life and who maintains their spiritual life. The programs are amazing. Studying our word is our, jo- it's our joy to study his word. It's our joy to be a disciple and to make disciples. But we cannot do this and lose sight of those things don't actually sustain you if we are disconnected from the one who is. Christ sustains the spiritual life of the church and the believers. So how can we say we we, we love Jesus but hate one another? John also says this, they will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. So within the church, without the church, wherever it may be, we spend our time trying to prove how we are working harder, but we forget that these people are loved by God as well. And if we want to make any imprint on this battle and this cosmic fight, we cannot just get caught up in doing church. And this is why I believe that your eschatology or your belief about the end times is vitally important. Because what you believe about the end times will determine what you do right now. If you think we're going to be raptured before it's all up, guess what? We're just like, well, I'm raptured. Lord, take me when I'm raptured. Take me out of here. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Watching the news, like, get me out, right? This is why First and Second Thessalonians was written is because they were quitting their jobs. It's like, well, God's coming tomorrow, so I don't need to work, right? And Paul's like, no, like, maybe you should work, right? No, he's coming tomorrow. I don't care. (laughs) They needed to repent, it says, which means this. The the Greek word repent is metanoia. Change your thinking about it. Change your thinking about it. Have we lost our love for people? We should change our thinking about that. We should repent. We should say, Lord, forgive me. You know what? You're right. Because look, we live in a world that this is happening, it has been so palpable, hasn't it? The divide between people. See, Ephesus, I think, is the most like the church in America. They had money, they were comfortable, minimal persecution. But any problems that arise, it's like, they freak out. <laughs> 2020, we are persecuted! Dude, there are people dying for their faith right now. In this moment, we have brothers and sisters who are actually laying their life down for their faith. Let's not lose sight of how blessed we are. But let's also not grow cold to the love that we are supposed to have. Because how are we supposed to reach our world if we don't love them? How are we supposed to reach someone who doesn't think like us if we don't actually sit down and say, I love you the way Jesus did? That doesn't mean we have to be tolerant. Tolerance is an idea that really no one's really tolerant of anyone. Be tolerant of me. And then I say, well, I don't agree with you. You're not tolerant. It's like, I don't know what to do then. Tolerance is not conformity. We don't need to conform our ideas and thinking to the world, but we should love the world even if their ideas are different than ours. We should love people within the church. We should get get at a table and sit and have a meal and let's talk about this. Why? Because the more I'm connected to my Savior, the more I want to bring him to other people. And so the intimacy with Christ is going to draw me into his heart. And you know what Christ's heart is for? Not just more programs. It's for people. The programs that we do and the things that we do is simply this, to reach people. And if we are doing church 
but we don't love people, we need to reconnect with Jesus. The Spirit is saying, return to our love for people. Jesus reveals himself as the one walking amongst us. He doesn't just see their works, but he sees our motive. Because we can do the right thing with the wrong motive, can't we? I think the people in Ephesus, they loved God, man. He's not saying you don't love me. But we can love God and we can lose his heart sometimes. And he's saying to them, no, no, regain my heart. Get it back. I know you love me. I know you're working hard. But get my heart for people. Because that's what's going to reach them. The keys can come on up. This is where I'm finishing. Christ is the maintainer of our spiritual life. He's present with us right now. Have we disconnected from him? Distance in our intimacy with Christ will create callousness in our, cha- in our charity for people. We will become cold if we are distant from, if we have distanced ourselves. God doesn't distance himself. We distance ourselves. What does it say in James? God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So what's that? What is it? He's just saying, you're being proud right now. You're saying you want to do this on your own. Okay, cool. You go do your thing. You're gonna, it's going to be a drifting process. So have we lost sight of the heart of God that, that is for people? Have we just played church? Are we just, or are we listening to what the Spirit is saying to us, City Church California in 2023, that, hey, let's recover our first love. Let's remember why God saved us and what he saved us from. And when I remember what Christ saved me from and that he maintains, sustains, and he carries my spiritual life with him in his right hand, guess what? I'm going to rely on him. I'm not gonna hate on people, but I'm gonna try to bring them into the same God that revived me. Revelation 1.17, you see this picture. John sees Jesus, sees a vision of Jesus in heaven, and he falls out like he's dead, it says. Just boom, right? Same thing happened to Daniel, by the way. Connection, Old Testament illusion, whole different story, whole different lesson. But what happened, what, what revives John is that Jesus reaches, it says the right hand that holds the seven stars reach out to him. The same hand that sustained the life of the church is the same. See, what you're gonna see in Revelation is a repeated symbolic patterns of hammering home the same point. It's Christ that sustains your spiritual life. And yeah, when you see God, when we see God, we will be like, oh my Lord, I'm dead. <laughs> Why? Because he's God. He's holy, he's big, he's powerful, he's not weak. But isn't that awesome that when we see God and we fall flat on our face, like, man, I can't even, who am I? He says, great, let me pick you back up. Now let's do this together. Because the same spirit that just revived you is the same spirit that's gonna sustain you. Don't drift from me, because I got people I wanna reach. I wanna reach this world. And we're not gonna be overcome by the world, but we're gonna overcome the world, how? Because we're a church that has an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. I think Ventura needs us to love them like Jesus does. I think we need to love each other the way Jesus does. We can't just come and play church and do the programs. It says this, when the ox is not in the barn, the barn is clean. What is he saying? It's messy, right? It's messy sometimes with people, isn't it? So we like to just keep to our own mess and keep to my own, I'm just gonna, I gotta deal with my stuff. No, 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 no. Because if we are connected to Christ, we are called to love people the way he does. Revelation one, four through three, this is, or four through five, this is is where I finish. This is John to the seven churches. 
that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. From the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of this earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. How can I be a faithful witness? How can I love people? Well, only because Christ did it first. We can only follow in his footsteps, but because he has, now we can. And in fact, we're called to, to be who God has called us to be, to do what God has called us to do. We have to stay connected to the faithful witness, then that is Jesus. Jesus is calling his church like never before to not cower in fear or to, and, and, and to not be those who are callous towards people, but like never before to stand up, to be faithful, to speak truth in love, and to be those who are not overcome by the world, but to overcome the world. And it talks about this, and, 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 and he says that if you overcome, if you hear and you listen and obey, you will overcome and you will eat from the tree of life. To the, the, to the place in Ephesus, the, the center of spiritual life was a picture of a tree that went into the heavens. It's kind of like Avatar, right? Like that's where these spiritual things come from, just saying. Just saying. It's not like they didn't come up with it, all right? So when John uses that language, what he's saying is that's not real life. This is true life. And if you listen and obey, what you will receive is eternal life and you endure till the end. We have the greatest gift and his name is Jesus. He's gone before us, he's gone behind us, he's around us and he's revealing himself to us saying, I will sustain you. I'm walking amongst you. Stand to your feet this morning. Another thing that we see in Revelation is this. Heaven's not as far as we think it is. What we're going to begin to see as, as, as the series unfolds, and if you read the book of Revelation, what you begin to see is the veil between heaven and earth is pretty thin. As we worship on earth, there's worship in heaven. And it says that the praises of the saints and the prayers of the saints are like incense filling the throne room right now in heaven. We just saw a picture of Jesus. It says he's walking amongst us right now. He's walking amongst us. God, this is not a dead religion. Christ is walking amongst us right now through the Spirit of God. That's kind of crazy. Well, that's what we believe. What would we do if he was actually physically here? See, like I said, in the Bible, sometimes we're like, well, the children of Israel, man, they saw that. I would have believed. Would you? Because we have the Spirit of God within us, and yet sometimes we don't believe. Sometimes we don't worship Him the way He should be worshiped. We don't connect to Him. Why? Because things happen, and yeah, we get distracted, and we drift, and we start hating people, and, and, and resenting the world, and resenting these things, and we need to get back to the heart of God and saying, son, daughter, I know things are difficult. I know there's pain. I know there's suffering, but I gave you my spirit. I walk amongst you. Keep enduring. Keep going. Don't quit. So can we lift our hands this morning and can we begin to worship Jesus as if he's in this room because 
He is. And right now, God, as you walk in this space and you go to each and every individual person, you know what they need right now. I came to heal and mend the brokenhearted. Broken hearts are being healed, restored. God, forgive us. Forgive us for losing our heart towards each other, towards people. Forgive us for drifting away from you, Lord. Bring us back into that space where we know we are being sustained. Don't quit, don't quit. You don't sustain your spiritual life. It feels like you're suffocating. It feels like you're drowning. It feels like you wanna quit. It feels like you wanna give up, but you don't sustain your spiritual life. He does. You are in his right hand. That's for someone right there. You are in his right hand. You are in his right hand. Your kids are in his right hand. Right now, Jesus, we just worship you. Gosh, you're so good. You're faithful when I've been unfaithful. You're consistent when we've been inconsistent. God, you are gracious when I haven't, when I've been, when I, when I haven't been. God, you are merciful when I've been merciless. God, you are the hope I need even when I have no hope. God, you are everything we need and we know you walk amongst us and you are with us and we realize now, God, that, that heaven is not far but heaven is in this room and we worship with the saints of the past and we worship together our God, our King. Come on, let's lift up our voice. We worship you and we say, holy, holy, holy are you, God. Worthy, worthy, worthy are you, God. Faithful, faithful, faithful are you, God. Gracious, gracious, gracious are you, God. You're a good God. You're a gracious God. You're a generous God. You're a loving God. When I was far from you, you were close to me. When I was running, you were running alongside me. And God, when I turned, your arms were there and you wrapped me in your arms and you said, son, I love you. Daughter, I love you. I'm for you. I'm not against you. That pain that you experience that's not from me I can heal it though I can restore it I can redeem it God you are good come on you are let's begin to lift them up this morning we would normally wouldn't go this long but I just want to sit in this moment right now do a crazy altar call, but I just need you guys to be honest, all right? If you feel like you've just drifted spiritually from the Lord and you feel like you're just so distant from his heart and you want to know his heart again, can you lift both hands in the air? Thank you. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for being honest. Right now, Jesus, become real, become real, become real. Man, the enemy has such a way of trying to pull us away from the heart of God. But God has such a way of drawing us close to his heart. Son, daughter, I love you. I'm for you. I'm not against you. If you see someone with their hand lifted, can you just gently just lay your hands on them and just begin to pray for them? Jesus, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. This is just a moment we're just going to allow God to speak and minister to people through the Holy Spirit. He's bringing life, he's bringing hope, he's bringing healing. It's no longer just gonna be a religion or a routine. 
but that vibrant relationship you once had is coming back right now, right now, right now, right now, right now. Holy Spirit is speaking. He speaks, he speaks. Are we listening? As we tune in our ears what the Holy Spirit is saying and we obey what God is saying right now, some of you diagnoses of great distance, you feel like God's not for you, you're afraid, you're scared. God's saying, look, I can deal with that. Just come close to my heart. Some of you, it's been a heartbreak. Some of you, it's been finances and stress and anxiety. Some of it's just family. You just feel like, I'm just tired, man. I'm just tired. And all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Strive to enter rest, as it says in Hebrews, which means this. Make it your intention to, to, to rest in him. Make it your goal. Make it your aim. Holy Spirit, we worship you and we thank you right now that you're ministering to people all over this place. You're ministering to fathers who are feeling like they failed. You're ministering to mothers who feel like they missed it. You're ministering right now to, 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 to sons and daughters who feel like they've drifted too far and that they've disappointed their parents. Right now, you're beginning to show them, no, son, daughter, you didn't disappoint me. I'm for you. I love you. Come into my arms. Come into this space. God, I thank you right now. Come on, let's just begin to pray. Let's just begin to worship. Let's invite him in, into our lives, into our families, into our finances. God, we thank you. How could we not worship a God who's so close? Jesus mighty mighty name in Jesus mighty mighty name hmm. I'm going to invite Pastor Michael up he's going to give us an invitation and some instructions but we're not going to play church anymore which means this, we've heard that before, which means this, we're coming ready to worship God as if he's in the room every week, because he is. He's in this room, he's in this space. We're gonna love people with a new fervency. We're gonna love our family with a new, with a new passion. We're gonna realize heaven is not far away, but it's right amongst us in this moment. And can we just, go into this week and let's find, if you're not connected, find somebody say, I need you. I need you. We cannot do this alone. My Lord, I don't even want to try. We need one another. God, we thank you. We worship you. We praise you for this morning. We thank you that you are good and faithful. It's not my words, but really it's the Holy Spirit that's in this place. That's, that's speaking to hearts and minds. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Jesus mighty. We so appreciate you spending time with us. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com, and click Give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.